0: Welcome to Unity Talks, where the hiring experts of Dallas based recruiting firm Unity Search engage in lively discussion with successful business leaders to dissect their careers and how they got to where they are today, the obstacles overcome to reach their success, and steps they've taken to stay at the top of their respective fields. So listen in as we provide you with a thought provoking conversation and ideas that keep industries moving forward. And welcome back to the next edition of the Unity Talks podcast. Believe it or not, this is season four. We're counting each year as a new season. And this is the first show that we're recording in 2024. So we're super excited about that. I'm super excited about introducing my guest today. He's one of my relatively new friends. We were actually introduced to each other by a previous podcast guest. And he was like, I knew you two would just get along so well. Shout out Wayne Gono. Really appreciate you. Love you. And my guest today is Robert Hunt. Robert, welcome Thank to you. the show. Thank you. Yeah. Wayne's a good connector. He is a great, that's what he is. He's a great connector. Yeah. I want to be known. I, in fact, I was telling Mario, one of our directors of our IT recruiting division, uh, this is months ago. I was like, you know what I want to be known as? I want to be known as a connector. That's just a really cool uh, title I but feel he like. does it with love too. he's really genuine like sometimes you feel like you're being worked over like I'll just introduce
1: you to this guy like you ditch him off in an email. like mean, Wayne does it because he loves you.
0: Yeah and he's such a good good yeah. connector and such a good guy. so yeah. we appreciate you and we appreciate you coming on to um, our show. So, so I'm, so I'm going to introduce you. Robert here. So Robert, I feel like he's everywhere. I mean he's co-authored a book we'll get to. He leads CEO forums we'll get to. He goes to a great church we were talking about it last night. We may even touch on that. And Robert and I are in the same book club. Yeah, baby. <laughs> <laughs> the all men book club. How about that? I only know of one men book club. That's and the I'm in I know it. of. That's right. So I feel privileged. Yeah. We're starting to trend, baby. <laughs> it's going to be huge. <laughs> Here's what we got here's what we're going to do. We're going to ask Robert tell us a little bit of a commercial about his what he does for a living. And then we have a topic and here's our topic. And by the way, I feel like David Letterman when I hold these things, so I'm constantly here bouncing it. I'll try to control myself. So, top 5 things great CEOs do. When I was talking to Robert because he leads these CEO forums, I said, "Robert, You know, there's got to be a top five list that you know of, of like, what is so common that you see when you gather together with CEOs to talk about their business? What are the top five things? And within 30 seconds, he rattled them off. This, 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 and this. And they are make decisions, own it, always learning, drive results, and pour into others. We're going to cover those one by one and get Robert's thoughts. Start us off with, tell us what you do. Yeah. I run, I run peer groups for CEOs. It's what I've been doing for the last 10 years. I love it. And
1: the whole idea of a peer group, it's group learning. It's really kind of a magical thing because it's, it's self discovery. It's a chance for you to, to be in a room with other people who are on the same journey, who have experienced what you're experiencing and let them pour into you. Mm-hmm. I think the, the thing is that most people who are successful CEOs already know what to do. They're just not always doing it. Sometimes there's a little bit of head trash that comes along with that. There's a lot of isolation where people feel exhausted and burned out and there's nowhere to go. And so having a group where we meet every month and we work on issues that are holding us back or challenging us and learn from each other, it's really mm-hmm. cool.
0: Now, are they all like the same industry or it, is there no, value in gathering different industries yeah. and insights?
1: Yeah, every single one of them will tell you, oh, you can't do that in my industry. It's way different. My people are so hard I've to deal heard with. That you too. Know, every industry you talk to says that, right? And, oh, construction, no, it's construction, no one can do that, or IT, no one can do that. I mean, it's just that, but the the beauty of it is that when you come into our groups, that we practice radical transparency and radical open-mindedness. And so you have to be that way. Mm. So when someone says, well, we can't do that in our industry, well, you haven't done it yet. Doesn't mean you can't do it, It just means you haven't done it yet. And when someone else across the table from you says, yeah, we do that, we do that all the time, here's how we do it, and here's what to look out for, you start thinking, well, maybe I can. Yeah. And then, so the more diverse, the better it is by far.
0: Well, and I feel like you were talking about all these challenges that business owners or leaders, like we could just, just say leaders because sure. anybody in an organization can be a leader no matter what level you're and at. It should be. Absolutely. And it's 95%, maybe more, it's about people. Yeah. I mean, they're about it people. It's, it's not, not about like, well, we're the construction industry, so you can't, well, do you have people? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, then you have the same problems we do.
1: We always say there's four things. There's people, cash, technology, and time. Those are the four things that everybody has in common. It's just that in your particular people, they're doing this and they're th- this constraint. And mm-hmm. but the beauty of it is that because of our constraints, we learn different ways around stuff or how to deal with it. And that uniqueness can be valuable if you pluck it over here. So yeah. I would rather learn on your learning curve and watch all your struggles and learn from yeah. it
0: than have to go through everything on my own. That's the beauty of that. <laughs> because it took you twenty years to become an overnight success, so <laughs> I can accelerate my exactly. path by learning exactly. from you instead of and it can to
1: embolden you. It. Because sometimes 100. you get beat down. It's just exhausting. Being a CEO, yeah. if you're not a CEO, you don't know what this is like. Yeah. Business owners and CEOs, they have a very unique journey. And and it's lonely. It's hard. And so having a group of other people who get it, they can fire you up. When you start to just doubt yourself or get frustrated, they're there for
0: you. It, it makes yeah. a difference. Yeah. Well, you need to be filled up. Everybody needs to be filled you up. You do. Know? Yeah. All right. We can keep going like this all day. We got to get to these top five things here, okay? So uh, I'm going to I'm gonna list it out for you, and you kind of give me your cool. thoughts. So top 5 things great ceos do number 1 is they make decisions they what make you decisions yeah.
1: you know that seems easy uh, but people get paralyzed because there's so many things you could do and then the bat, the past and the journeys of the frustrations of what you had go wrong and so you can get a little mired into getting frozen mm-hmm. uh, but your team's expecting you to make a decision and they're not going to wait the, the things don't wait And so I have seen that great leaders always make decisions, not always the best decision, but they make a decision. I was just
0: going to ask that. Like, what if it's wrong?
1: We learn from it. Uh, You either win or you learn, right? Right. And so if, you, if you're going along and you're making a decision and you, you own it, that's, that's the second part is you own it. But when you're making a decision, you're going to be wrong. You're going to be wrong in, in a lot of the cases because the variables change. Even by the time you made the decision, implement it, so many other variables came back up. It may not be a good decision anymore. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Time just moves along so fast, but they make decisions.
0: I remember when I was a kid, I watched a movie. I cannot remember the movie and I was not in the military. My dad was in the military and a guy was talking to a sergeant, a soldier's talking to the sergeant. And he says, left, right, I don't care. Make a decision. Yeah. Lead us. Yeah. And I, I, I always, like, I, that has burned in my head that a lot of times the people that you're leading, they don't know if it's going to be right or wrong. They right. just want, they want to follow you whichever, wherever you take them. So yeah. it's not like you're going to be judged. Like, ah, well, you will idea. be. <laughs> uh, you, well, they, but, they it's, will. but it's not. It's but you not, still own it. it. Well, it's not judged in a way like, well, I'm never following that person again.
1: No, but you, you look in the reality when you think of those, just back to those war movies, and you see these great generals in these movies, and they made all these great, decisions, let's come around here, we'll bomb on the side. where did they learn that from? There wasn't a college class that taught you how yeah. to bomb the valley when there was a river in the middle, right? But they did it enough time to figure something out, and they started to think on their feet. The leaders in our group, they've gone through so much stuff. They just see it, and they know how to, that's another one of those. Mm-hmm. That's a thing with a customer that's angry and a market that's this, and then when those happen, we do this. So they've had enough of those moments where they can say that's another one of those. And the more times you can capture that's another one of those, the quicker you are to make decisions because there aren't that many different problems. This one just looks blue and that other one is red, but it's still this thing. So the more that they go through those things, the quicker they are to make decisions. And they know they're gonna be second guessed and they know that some of them aren't gonna be right, but they still make them because we gotta get going.
0: Okay, well so let me ask you this, because I just had this conversation yesterday with a young lady on our team and she's fantastic. And I brought her into the room and I said, you know, you realize that when anytime you say yes to this. Anytime you say yes to something, that means you're saying no to something else. Right. So be careful about what we're saying yes to yeah. because you might be saying no to something that brings more value to the organization.
1: Yeah, that's another thing that CEOs, it's not on my list, but they, they say no a lot because if they're really going to get stuff done, they have to say no. And you'll be frustrated that you can't get time with your boss. How come I can't get time with you? Dude, I'm, I'm overloaded. Yeah. And, and good CEOs will say no. There's a great book out called The Lazy CEO. Mm-hmm. And it's just this idea that you don't do anything. I know, you guys do it all, but that frees me up to be creative and to go out and find new opportunities and to dream big. And you know, the person who's leading needs to have some room in their brain to make big dreams and visions that we can all follow. But if they're in the weeds doing stuff, they they can't get to that.
0: I think you just found one of our next book club books, the Lazy CEO. Yeah, it's a good book. Okay, so that's okay. we need to bring that up. All right, good. The Lazy CEO. Someone write that down. I like it. I like it. Um, number two on the top five things great CEOs do, they own it. Yeah,
1: they own it. And that seems simple, right? The buck stops at the top, you know, that kind of mindset. But it really is true. The reason that they're more confident to make some of those decisions is because they're going to own it. If you work for somebody, you think, well, if I make this decision it doesn't work out, do I get fired? Am I going to get embarrassed in front of my coworkers? I mean, they have the same worries about that too. But at the end of the day, they have to own it. There's no one else to blame. Mm-hmm. And so when you're truly responsible and accountable for things, you're empowered to make decisions. And you'll make some that are good and some that are bad, but at the, either way, they own it. And I think that's important. That's why we wrote this book, Nobody Cares, because we just feel like people lost the idea of accountability. There's a difference between responsible and accountable. Your team, when we run out of something, they ordered it. They're done. They figured they did something. Mm -hmm. But if we don't have any and the customers are mad, could we just drive over and pick one up? But, you know, they don't think that way. They just feel like I did something. I ordered it. But when you own it, you figure, well, the problem's not solved yet, so i got to do something more. Well, CEOs realize that until the problem is solved or the opportunity is captured, there's more. And they press on and, and they keep going until it's done because they own it. They want the outcome. Responsibility does something. Out, uh, accountability guarantees the outcome or is, is looking for the. Oh, outcome.
0: that's good. Say that again.
1: Responsibility is doing something. Accountability is owning it. That it's we got the outcome we're looking for. It's outcome focused
0: versus activity focused. Yeah, yeah. It's a big that's difference. Right. Well, it is a big difference, and I think uh, when I when I was introduced to you. I was told, here's the thing, that Robert has the gift of holding people accountable. That's why you're a good CEO, peer group leader, is because your gift is holding people accountable and challenging people in a way to really look inward before they point the finger outward, which is hard to do, right? But we need that challenge. Let me clarify one thing. Nobody can hold anyone accountable. It's in our book.
1: And it says that you should, we use that phrase a lot and we mean well by it. And I know what that means, but I can't hold you accountable. But what I can do is I can create an environment where you want to be accountable. Where I have a team that is so accountable to things that we all just make this feeling like we all own it. Mm -hmm. And if we create a culture of accountability in our business, everyone else will rise to that level. But if you say, I'm going to hold you accountable, what do I do? Did you get that done? No. Well, I fire you every time you don't do something because if I fire you, I'm the one being accountable. You still left without a job, but you're no longer, you're still not accountable to that. I'm the one being accountable. So if we really want people to be accountable, we create a world where they want to be accountable. Nobody can hold anyone accountable. It's just that mindset of creating yeah. it where we want to be accountable. Yeah.
0: And I feel like if people, if you create the culture of everybody wants to be accountable, this is a team and you hire someone and they don't fit that, they're wanting to leave yes. before you have to have them. That's leave. right. That'll self-eliminate. And, and it's not
1: hard to do, but you have to be consistent. You know, if you let one guy get away with something or one person not do this, and then you just don't do anything about it. Well, he was in a bad mood or it didn't work out. And we keep making excuses for things. We're really, we're not owning it. But we want to create a, a process where people are empowered to succeed. We could have a different talk about how to have proper mm-hmm. delegation. But when you give people the clear and compelling communication, the tools, the training, then you can hold them accountable. But without clear and compelling communication, tools, and training, you can't create a, a culture of accountability because you haven't set them up to win. And you're setting them up to fail. Yeah. And that's not we, where we build a place where everyone wants to be
0: accountable because we've done that work. That just takes more effort. You know, you make me think of last night when I was driving home from the event that we had last night. Um, I was listening to Patrick Lincioni's podcast, and they were talking about like um, having people own the results when you hire someone new. Like, don't lay everything out for them to where it's just go here and then go here. It's like give them a direction and say, figure it out. And then they have to just own, right? Figuring it out. They're not going to give you all the answers to the test and they want to hire people who can figure things out. And when they can't figure it out, they own it and say, I've done everything I can. I couldn't figure it out. What's my next step? Here are some options.
1: I see the wisdom in that. I also see that if we're really going to try and empower people to do it our way, we have to do a certain amount of educating. Correct. I have clients in the construction industry and when they bring on a person, they hire them because they're skilled in that thing. But then they, they immediately throw them out in the job field. Like day yeah. one, you're okay, go. Right. Like we're already behind, right? Yeah, yeah. And then they have all this wave of problems that they did, which in the person they hired's mind is done correctly because at the last job, in the last 10 years I've been doing it, we did it this way. Well, here we do it this way. Right. And unless we take the time to explain why we do it this way and the reason behind it and what it looks like, they're set it up to fail. Yeah. Even though they're skilled and experienced, we do it this way. And so Covey talks about building trust is based on character and competence and inside competence is knowledge, but it's knowledge of how to do it here. And so if we don't do enough of that clear and compelling, like why do we do it this way? Mm -hmm. They're going to do what's to the best of their experience and knowledge and they're going to fail. And then they're frustrated and I'm frustrated.
0: I call that the why behind the what. This is what you need to do. You have to explain the why behind the what. What you're saying is, yeah, the bumper cars on a bowling lane. Yeah, you got to set the rails. bumper cars up, right, so yep. the ball doesn't go in the gutter. Yeah. But you let them – it's okay. Let them make How mistakes. How you go about as, doing this. Exactly. Yeah. As long as those bumper cars are get there and we're along here, we're taking you hand by hand, and we're not going to show you every single step, but we're here to answer the questions. That reminds me of that book, Raving Fans. You ever read that one years ago? Uh,
1: Raving Fans. It's a great book on customer service. But he, he said every gas station attendant – when the person comes up, they do full service in those days. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> and they would say, You'd have to make a conversation with someone. That's one of the requirements. You clean the window and you have a conversation. They don't tell them what to say, they just say, Have a conversation. So the people, and within, proper bounds like, hey, are you married? You know, it could yeah, be awkward. Yeah. So they have some parameters to that. <laughs> yeah. But they want them to have conversations. So we give them the bumpers that say have a conversation. Mm-hmm. We don't tell them how long, we don't tell them what they talk about, the weather, the sports, whatever. You discern that. So we give people freedom within the safety net of this is what's expected and how we roll.
0: Love that. That's really good guidance. Always learning, number three. Oh
1: man, the world is constantly changing. The people that are in our CEO groups are so smart. And they're always reading and they're always aware of stuff. And, you know, they don't go to a lot of events because they're busy and they don't like getting out in places where someone's always asking them to sell something or buy something Uh or get a job or whatever. But they are always learning and they're always bringing up the best opportunities and new techniques and stuff. Since everything's constantly changing, if you're not learning, you're falling behind. And your team is expecting for you as the leader of your company to be on the edge, to be the Mm -hmm. sharp one. Now, what you have to do is pull back enough from the day-to-day operations to afford the time to do that. If you're every day looking at the books and looking at all these things and down in the weeds and talking to every single person, you do not have any bandwidth for that. Right. You don't have time for that, yeah. as our friend just shared with us yeah. about not having time. So you got to pull out of that stuff so you can have room to learn. And since you went to college and you started a business, the world has changed since then. And so you have to afford time to... Grow and develop your knowledge. And of course, everything you experience is knowledge, but what do you do about artificial intelligence? Mm -hmm. New laws that the government comes out with every year constantly, Uh, codes and requirements. And just to keep up on the HR requirements and the IT requirements and cybersecurity, all that stuff, you have to at least know that to ask the right questions so that you know your team's doing the right stuff. That takes time. And so you have to pull back enough from the business to be able to do that. That's a discipline that comes from you
0: desiring to stay sharp. You know, you make me think of a couple of things in that. I I don't remember the statistic, but there was a statistic out there that I heard, and I feel like it was like a Simon Sinek who stated this, that, you know, after college, it was a wild amount of college-educated people who never read a book again. They're done learning. They decided, like, I did it, and I'm done, (laughs) and I'm not going to learn anymore. And that flies in the face. You know, I taught myself how to love reading and learning once I knew I was going all in on trying to be a leader. And I was probably in my mid-30s. And Mm. now I I tell people all the time, like, if you can, do that younger. I never was. You know, I didn't want to read. I didn't want to do anything. And then I decided, you know, I'm going to jump in. I'm not going to dip my toe in the water anymore. I'm going all in. In order to do that, I want to learn like we talked about earlier. I want to learn from other people so I don't have to make all those same mistakes, which right. a lot of times right. I still do, you know, cuz you're you're going to make mistakes. Sure, but I needed I needed to learn from You'll other You'll make people. less yeah. And, and if, you'll recover quicker.
1: Yeah. If you don't like reading, then get an audible version, go to Blinkist where you get a summary and yeah. learn some key points, go to a seminar, watch a video. There's ways to learn that doesn't require you sit and read a book for hours. If that's not your style, that's fine. There's ways around that. Uh, but at the very least, if you're just not willing to learn, you've got to find a, a technique that will work within your your time and capabilities mm-hmm. and skills. You got to always be learning.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You can make friends with people like Robert. That's what, that's another way to do it. You know, I'll tell them
1: stuff I learned. You know, we, we parrot these things in our meetings. Someone, uh, Tammy Carter, who's one of our CEO groups members, she just was going to present about Working Genius because it's new and it's something Love that it. she learned and she's been applying it with her teams and they've responded well. And so she's going to bring this, this information to our groups. So she went, took the time to learn it, apply it, test it out and it works. And now she's going to bring it and share with us. Uh, we're going to have a person come and talk about artificial intelligence. Uh, Jeff's done something about the five X of, of discipline. Mm-hmm. Uh, each of us has our own experience. Salem did one on what it costs when you make a mistake. That was wow. a cool one. Yeah. The thoughts that you didn't think about in that. So since we all know so much, we just take the, ten, the time to teach each other. Yep.
0: that. Yeah. Hey, on the, on the thing you, you made reference to time. Cause we do, we, we blame, we point the finger at time because we, we become busy. We're a society of busyness. Yeah. Busy is the new stupid. It, it really is. And here's something that I have learned is carve out an hour where you, you just sit in a room. You don't have a computer in front of you. You don't have your phone in front of you. You just sit there and you think if you're leading, if you're a CEO or you're leading a company, or if you are the uh, inventor in the working genius, right? Yeah. You're the wonder or yeah. you're the inventor. Then just sit there. When you and get a time room to do that. And think. Right. Just just think of solutions. You remember that Henry Ford ideas.
1: story where they they're taking a tour, and Henry Ford goes by this room and there's a dark room with a guy with his feet up on the desk, and someone says, What's that guy doing? And he goes, Well, he thinks. Yeah. And he was the guy who invented the speedometer. Yeah. And he goes, I just have him sit here and think of stuff all day. And he keeps coming up with cool stuff. It's
0: unbelievable. So he
1: had a guy whose full-time job was to sit in this room and think that's the whole so time. Cool. So that's why they came up with stuff all the yeah. time. Haven't you ever noticed when you're taking a shower? That you have such clarity, like you, oh, I gotta call my mom, or I got I should buy this, or oh, this is a good idea, because there's nothing else to distract you. You have room to think. Mm. That is proof that when we get clarity, we get creativity. Mm. And so when you're beat down and overloaded, exhausted, and, and you've got so many things going on and your phone's always going off, you got a computer in your pocket that never stops, people walking in your door all day long, you're already late to everything. How are you gonna be creative? How are you going to be thoughtful and, and get clarity? Yeah. You need room for that. Yeah. At the very least, that's why our, our group members come together once a month. They get all the time in, in that whole day to sit and think and breathe and refresh and go, oh, I, you know, I should work on this. Yeah.
0: I really love that. That's great. Uh, top five things great CEOs do. Drive results. And the word is
1: drive, not do. And if you're still the doer in your company, you're doing a dishonor to your employees and to yourself and the future owner of that company. Mm because someday you're not going to be there. Everybody dies. so yep. There's that. Yep. But at some point you you want to, to tr- turn it over so that it continues to succeed beyond you. And frankly, the new person is going to come is going to be different, but could be good different if you plan for it. If not, you stress out, you have a heart attack, you can't work anymore. Something goes wrong with your marriage. So you quit working, you lose your edge. Some bad things happen all the time. People who are proactive and build a team that can drive the results, the company's worth more, people feel more engaged. You get to go do other things, maybe start a new business, maybe give, maybe serve. I don't know, but you can't be the one delivering. And so when I hear a CEO say, I'm the best salesperson in the company, sad.
0: That's yeah, sad. Yeah, I agree.
1: That's wrong. And or if, you're, if I wasn't there, things would fall apart. Then you don't have a good company.
0: Yeah. <laughs> People yeah. say that stuff, and you, I was like, aren't you, think, Are you yeah. embarrassed to say you're that? You're not an owner of a company. The company owns you. You're the hardest working employee and the yep. lowest paid by hour. Yes. I <laughs> think exactly about what it. So our last guest, so get this, and I love this, our last guest, Elizabeth Rich, who is for, from Dart. She's the CFO of Dart. She said this. She said, um, one of her lessons, she said, become indispensable. So you're driving as a leader, right? That was one of the steps. The following step was make yourself, no, become indispensable. The next one is make yourself dispensable.
1: (laughs) Which seems almost kind of
0: contrary. Exactly. You are driving results. You're figuring out the path for the organization, the why behind the what. You're doing the whole thing. Right. And then you make yourself dispensable, right? Because you need to start separating yourself let creativity happen among your team, it shouldn't all rest on your shoulders.
1: And when you think about it, someday when someone comes to buy your company and they look at it and they go, if you're not here, everything falls apart, your company's not worth anything. If you really want to prove that your company's worth more, so someday you get banked for your business, prove that for the last five years, I have been in a role sitting outside, coaching, mentoring, coming up with new partnerships, finding new companies we want to merge with, all that stuff, and the team's been running the business and our business is going like this. That's worth something. Mm-hmm. But if you're the person who's a rainmaker, and if you're the one who keeps it all together, and then you're gonna leave, why would I pay anything for your company?
0: Exactly. It's yeah. not worth anything. Yeah. And now your earnout right? And that is going to be a long earnout yeah. period. And usually you're at the point where you're like, I don't, I don't want a long earnout. but you've created that.
1: Or you got new owners and they don't like your style and they don't like the things you do and they're trying to do it their way. And then you have to sit and watch your baby be slapped around mm. and changed. And oh man, it drives people nuts. I've watched so Amen. many people sell their business and have a workout and it's miserable. It's emotionally, you're ripping it out of my hands and they got to stay and watch it. Amen. You got to get
0: away, sell yeah. it and walk away. Yeah. Amen. I love that. All right. Pour, number five, pour into others. Yeah, I know that, that we go back and think about it. I don't have any
1: time. I don't have time to learn, time to do all these things. Well, you don't have time to pour into people either. But if you truly are trying to build a team that will grow, scale, sustain, and run the business so that you can go do other things and eventually become irrelevant or, in, or dispensable, you have to pour into them first. So when I hear a CEO has got 10 people reporting to them, that's nuts. You can't pour into 10 people well. And some of the really great leaders I worked with had three or four people and they really nurtured them and they spent time with them and they were investing in them. And then you could see the person grow and they grow up to take over and they become where they can have less and less influence. Pouring to people does not take as much time as you think. But if you're intentional about it. But if you're if you're coming in and you're saying, How do we fix this problem? How do we do this? Then you're doing the job for them still. And that's we put take the monkey back on your back and do it. That's not what you're supposed to yeah. do. You're supposed to pour into them as leaders, as humans, as as people so they
0: can become better. And pouring into people, it looks different. It's not just uniform, right? Because right. people respond differently in yes. different ways. We're all wired a little bit differently. So you have to learn your people and what matters to them and meet them where they're at. And people are at different stages in their life. They're they at different seasons of their life, yeah. personally and professionally.
1: And knowing the course you want them to go on, if you're grooming this person to develop them as the next leader, or you're grooming them to coach their people better, uh, you could be wanting to move into another division. But when you ask people, what do you really want? If you can find out the purpose and the passion of your employees and you could help them live it out at work, that means eight to 10 hours or whatever you work per day is now purposeful. And they show up engaged and they care and they try harder and they encourage other people because they're living their purpose and passion while they're at work. Too many people get a paycheck and then think about their purpose and passion later. So they're frustrated that every day I go to work and I have to stay here and do this when I want to do that. Mm-hmm. If you can get to know your team well enough and you pour into them and you care about them and nurture, which to some people is like, I don't have time for that crap. Well then fine, you get what you get. But if you really want to nurture a team that's powerful and is leading and, and, and loves what they do and they stay and they're loyal and hardworking, that's pouring into them. And when you help them pursue their passions and purpose at work, Man, they're rocking it every day because yeah. they love what they're doing.
0: I think that's a really good point. And I think if you're one of those people who are trying to search for your passion, okay, let's take me, for example, right, and, and go back years into my career, and I'm the employee doing X, Y, Z, whatever that is. And my passion is, I want to open a gym someday, all right? and And we fantasize about that. Like if I'm a climber in my career and I'm really working my way up the corporate ladder because I'm that way, but I also have this side passion – I think what people, and, and, and oftentimes it's coming to wise counsel, what they can fall into the trap of is I'm going to leave this corporate career and I'm going to go do my passion. And what they found is they're not working out. They're not, they're running a business. So yeah. they used to get to spend an hour and a half, two hours a day doing working out and all their passion. And they think, well, I'm going to create a business where I get to do that all the time. Mm-hmm. And they do it less right? because they're just running a business. So uh, it's at those moments when you're climbing in your career, talking to the people who are coming up in the ranks. Like really seek wise counsel in that because, and and go to your boss and hopefully it's one of those managers who will give you wise counsel, right? That will say, well, let's learn about you. Like, how can I make this your passion? While you're here. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Think about it. Let's say you want to do a a nonprofit to feed kids in another country. Well, you're not doing that at work. Clearly. Yep. But what traits will I need to run a nonprofit to feed kids in another country? I need to know how to raise money. I need to know how to help deal with investors. I need to deal with the volunteers. I need to do logistics. I mean, all these things you have to do as part of that ministry or that charity, why not learn all the nuts and bolts of doing that in your job and be really good at it here? And by the way, I don't believe companies should do charity. I think they should find everyone in their company, find what they care about and come alongside them and care for them and their world and their passions. And that is the charity. Mm-hmm. We don't just need to march for raise money for awareness of this or, or blood drives. Or, sometimes they just do that to look like they're caring. Why don't you look at the people who work for you and go, this guy, this guy has six foster kids. Why don't we help foster kids? Uh, Direction 613 and McKinney helps kids age out of foster care. I love those guys. So we run events and we raise money and we give it to them because we love them. Why not have people on your team who have passions? Why not have the company champion yeah. those causes for them? And then it's not something we placated. It's actually a thing. And the people who work for you go, I'm living out my purpose. I'm exactly. living the passion with this charity and I'm leading up the, the team meetings. I'm doing this and let them become the ones who drive those initiatives. That's nurturing and caring the people so that you're pouring into them with intentionality.
0: Oh my gosh. Talk about pouring into mm-hmm. other people if you do that and you're singling and you're trying to learn each, and, but it's listening to them, right? As a leader, you got to listen. You got to open your ears and have a desire yeah. with the intentionality to find and out. And again, just with your
1: level, you're going to do your, the people who report to you, you're going to champion their cause, point to them. They then, you're teaching them and modeling how they pour into their yep. teams, and it just keeps going down the line. And through that process, everyone's getting nurtured and poured into. Oh man, people want to stay at a place like that.
0: Yeah, they do. They do. Yeah, those were our top five. I'm gonna go over again. Make decisions, own it, accountability, always learning, drive results, and that's what you've got to do. You've got to drive results and then pour into others. Okay, so we're wrapping up here. I've got to ask you. I'm gonna put you on the spot. You didn't know I was gonna ask you this. If these are five really good things, what's the very first step you have to take? The very first step. And it may not even be this list. What do I take as a leader? To do what? Um, The path to becoming a great CEO. I I need to change how I am as a CEO. I need to change how I am as a leader. Mm -hmm. What is step one? Is it by the book? Is it you always got to learn? Oh, clearly. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly it's by the book. That's what it is. (laughs) You know,
1: when when I see people who have really succeeded well is they knew their purpose. And, And if you're just doing it to make a buck... Uh, that's very empty at some point. Maslow's pyramid talks about when you satisfy a need, it's no longer a motivator. Mm -hmm. So if all I want is money and I have money, I don't motivate anymore. So you go to the next tier, that's desire. And so then I I feel like I got esteem, I'm important to, but after a while that kind of fades too. At the top is self-actualization where you actually are fulfilling your purpose in life. And we want everyone to do that. Well, you need to have yours. So if you're a leader who's just kind of been on the treadmill, stop and think about what do I want? Why do I exist? God has uniquely made you and equipped you for greatness. There's something about your journey, your skills, your passion, where you are in life that is uniquely qualifying you to do something awesome. But if you don't take the time to think what that is, you're just killing time. Mm-hmm. So if you really want to be a great leader, it, it comes from the passion that burns inside of you that says, I'm going to do this. You hear these stories of people who are working out of their garage and cranking stuff up and they were out of money. And, you know, Nate tells me that on his first year of business, he didn't have the money for the anniversary. They had to get 10 bucks out of the ATM, just to take his wife to dinner for the anniversary and how broke they were and, until they got over the hump. There's all these stories I hear, yes. but because they had a passion and a vision of what they wanted to do, it drove them on. So I think until you really know your purpose and your passion, it's going to be empty and you're going to just do some stuff, but you won't really believe in it. that That's what I think you need. You need to know your
0: purpose. That right there is a rewind the tape moment. That was gold. Rewind the tape and listen to that again if you're listening to this. And listen to it two or three times because that right there is... That is the ender that we're going to end this section. We got to go over a couple of quick things about Robert specifically because he's such a fantastic guest. You've already heard him just then. So you can reach out to re- directly to Robert. We're going to include your LinkedIn. Thank you. So you can reach out directly to him. So Robert, you already talked to us a little bit about Nobody Cares Until You Do. You co-authored this book. I did with Salem Thine. Why Why the book? What What caused you to do it?
1: Man, we just felt that, that people have lost the understanding of accountability. Sometimes you think you're being accountable, but you're not like If you're making minimum payments on your credit card, you're like, look, I'm so accountable. You're not, you're, you owe too much money and you can't get rid of it every month. That's not being accountable. Mm -hmm. And so, um, we, Kathy and I tell our story in in this book about how we owed $90,000 in debt at one point and it was killing us. And it wasn't until we decided, look, this is not the life I want to live. And we were willing to own it that we ended up selling our house and starting over because we realized nobody cares if you're broke and miserable and your marriage isn't working and you're unhealthy and you're stressed. Nobody cares unless you care enough to do something about it. And when you care enough to do something about it, you own it. And then it's hard. Selling my house was hard and starting over was hard and all the things we had to go through. But because we had a passion for what we wanted our lives to look like, we knew this was the only thing we, had, we, we could do. We, we needed to do this. So we wrote this book, Salem and I did, because we just felt like the world's lost that vision of accountability. We blame, we make excuses, we say we can't or we wait and hope. And that's not accountability. So if you find yourself blaming and you're angry at the world and you're angry at other people and you make excuses why your life is miserable, own it. Do something about it. And that's what the book tells you. It teaches
0: you and it shows you how to do it. That's so good. Robert's been generous enough. He said, hey, I'm going to bring a couple of books. So if you want one of these books – and if you want to reach out to me directly, you can find me on LinkedIn, Unity Search. Obviously, you can reach out to Robert, too, because he has a lot more of these books than what I do, right? So yes, I do. You can absolutely reach out to him. You have an event We At do end of February. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about this event.
1: Our Leap Year event. We're having our first workshop on Nobody Cares. It's a, it's a half-day session we're going to do it in the Plano area. And come bring your whole team and help them understand the ideas of accountability we're going to walk you through the book, the principles of the book. We're going to have some discussion at the table. One of the things we teach is that real vulnerability creates a, an opportunity for accountability. If I'm not real and I'm not honest, I don't talk about it. If I don't declare my issues, I don't get help. What does AA have you stand up and do at the beginning of the meeting? I am Robert. I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. You take accountability because you're vulnerable enough to admit that. Well, if we just bury ourselves and say, everything's fine. I'm doing great. Business is fine. Marriage is fine. Health is fine. You lie. So if you're going to declare it and own it, you can change it. So we're going to do it. We're going to dive into it that day. Um, if you're a business owner, bring your entire team for a leadership development session. Yeah. If you're a spouse with the kids, bring your kids, bring your whole family and talk about accountability in our family. You, know, you and your spouse, you and your kids, the coworkers, your church, your, your community group. It's It's really a, a workshop where we're going to work on it. And if you come in and you're open and honest about it, you can walk out with a whole different perspective and solutions on your life.
0: It's going to be so good, folks. It is going to be so good. So we're going to actually put the link to that in the show notes. So you'll be able to go to the show, go to the show notes. You'll be able to find the link. Once we post this onto our LinkedIn and go live with it, the link will also be on that. So please click on that link. Please attend that. Robert Hunt, he's the man. Thank you so much for oh, you're very coming kind. on our show. Thank you. It was fun. Yeah, we really appreciate, appreciate you. That. It was so much. That last bit, again, rewind that tape. Play it again and again and again. Find out what your purpose, what your passion is. What are you driving to? And it's really going to allow you to lead others. I know you're causing me to think a lot right now, and I I appreciate that. That's that challenge that everybody needs, that other leaders need. And hopefully you have found that too in listening to this. Get the book. Reach out to me. Connect with Robert. Go to his event. And we'll see you next time on the next Unity Talks podcast. If you're looking for the next step in your career or the missing piece for your team, Unity Search has you covered. Whether it's finance and accounting, tax services, information technology, or human resources, Unity Search is here for you with experienced and dedicated hiring professionals. Reach out today and take the next step Unity Search, placing you first.